actually want to welcome everybody here. I want to encourage you to, everybody say it with me, share the stream. Share the stream. Share the stream. Right. Share the stream. You have an opportunity. We are called. Go into all the world. Go into all the cosmos. Go into all the culture. Go into your centers of influence and proclaim the gospel, the good news. We have no excuses in this generation. All you got to do is use your finger if you have social media, and you can share the good news with someone. So share the stream. Subscribe on Facebook all that good stuff, and bring God glory. So we're talking about gratitude. It's uh, Thanksgiving weekend, is it not? Come on, it's Thanksgiving weekend. All right. All right. So we're excited. It's a little history of Thanksgiving. In, 16, in the 1620s, a group of uh, Christian pilgrims left Europe and came to the New World, and they were fleeing, basically, persecution. Um, they were being persecuted primarily by the Catholic Church, but by other different groups, because they were called Puritans. And the reason they were called Puritans is they wanted to live by the book. So they only wanted the pure word, and they didn't want anything else. And so they were being persecuted. And so they went to uh, Massachusetts in particular, and they formed a colony. And, it's, and after surviving an extremely difficult year, um, they held a Thanksgiving feast and they invited all of the Native American tribes that were there that had helped them through the, to get through the winter. And that was when the first Thanksgiving was celebrated in the United States. In 1623, they did it again, but they, they, they were fasting before they did it. And so, again, the, the basis of all Thanksgiving is Thanksgiving unto God. So Thanksgiving holiday isn't just about Thanksgiving. It's not about moms and dads and aunts and uncles and crazy Uncle Bill that had a little too many beers, that, that, you know, right? He's going to get rowdy here in a few minutes. It's not about that. It's about Thanksgiving to God. 1623, they did it as a, they did a fast, and then they offered up Thanksgiving to God. They were doing that to believe God for what he was going to do. So in 1621, they did what he did. They were honoring him for what he did. In 1623, they were believing God for more. And so one was in retrospect, the other was in, like, looking forward. They were believing God. George Washington, John Adams, James Madison all proclaimed national days of thanksgiving unto the Lord. Ladies, this is for you. So you t- <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. My wife wants me to write a book about uh, or do something with women because I tell her all this stuff about women. She's like, my gosh, you got to say that. I'm like, I'm not really ready to share it all yet. But women have had an insane impact on culture and society. Like crazy. Like when I show her all this stuff. What's that? The book's going to be about that. <laughs> in a wheelbarrow, bring it in. Sarah Josepha Hall. Anybody ever heard of her? Anyone at all? So this is in the 1800s. This woman was a writer and a magazine publisher. In the 1860s, you didn't hold that job if you were a woman. But she did, right? So she held this job. She actually petitioned Abraham Lincoln, and she did it repeatedly to create a National Day of Thanksgiving. So she's called the mother of Thanksgiving. She also wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb, right? And it was a day of Thanksgiving unto the Lord. She was a believer. She was a Christian who thought that this was something that had great value and worth. And Abraham Lincoln proclaimed the day of Thanksgiving after, the, after a victory at Gettysburg. There had been a huge slaughter, a tremendous loss of lives, and he proclaimed a day of Thanksgiving. Now, why would he proclaim a day of Thanksgiving after so much bloodshed? Because they were grateful that what was happening was for a purpose. These losses weren't in vain. They were freeing the nation or attempting to free the nation from the injustice of slavery that had existed there for a long time. So the war between the states. And so after that, that 
thing. He proclaimed the National Day of, Hol of, of Thanksgiving, and we've had it ever since. It's, they've moved it around a couple of times, but it still stayed in the game. But this woman was responsible for bringing it forward. And you thought your tenacity was in vain, ladies. You thought that it was a problem. Your tenacity has a great purpose to it if it's directed in the right place. So we want to talk about Thanksgiving to the Lord today. And what's happened in, is that we spend more time on time, more time cooking food, football, and family than we ever do giving thanks to the Lord. So we want to talk about Thanksgiving today. And I want you to say this. As a Christian, Thanksgiving is not a day. It's a lifestyle. It's one of the rhythms. It's one of the cultural rhythms of the kingdom. So culture, one of the culture rhythms of the kingdom of heaven, kingdom culture, is a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Science has looked at this. They study human emotions. They study human behavior, and they try to figure out what's wrong with us. You know, and they don't, I don't think they don't ever bring sin into the equation or separate, you know, they never do that. But they look at functions as to why people behave the way they behave. And one of the things they realize is that, that gratitude actually is a healthy emotion, and so what they've discovered, these are facts, is that uh, gratitude, thanksgiving, clears the mind, brings clarity to the mind. You can't fear, you can't worry, you can't be anxious if you're grateful. Thanksgiving increases stamina. How does it increase stamina? Because it takes your eyes off of you. Most of us get depressed and we can't get off the bed or leave the house because we're so worried about our problems. And so what happens is, is when you're grateful, you begin to see what, all of the positive things that are going on in your life, and something happens. You, just, you get more stamina. It increases stamina. You sleep better because you're not worrying and having anxiety. It improves relationships. You want to improve a relationship? Inject Thanksgiving into the equation. One of the things that happens between husbands and wives in particular is over a period of time, you lose that love and feeling. <gasps> That's not true. I mean, it's there, but what happens is, is that hurts, pains, undealt with issues begin to build up. Resentment occurs. All these different things begin to happen within the relationship, and we stop valuing each other. Honor sort of leaves. We take each other for granted. That's what happens. And so one of the things that restores a relationship, in particular a marriage, if you really want to go there, is appreciation and value and worth based upon the other. That's what happens. And so what happens is over time when the hurts and the pains come in, we start using language like, you always, you never. Anytime you always and you never are in the relationship, it's toxic. You have to deal with that because no one really always and no one really nevers. You have to deal with the moment of time that you're in, right? This may be a habit. This may be a pattern. This may be something ongoing, but we're not going to. I've been married 30 years, right? 30 plus. And Sherry goes, well, five years ago, we stopped doing that. I'm like, well, if we're going to start digging up the past, we're going to be here all night. You know, I'm going to go get a backhoe. I'm going to go get a backhoe. We'll dig up the past. We're going deep. We, don't, we try to not deal with issues related to the past. We deal with the now. I can't control the past. I can only control the now, and the now affects the future. And so we try to deal with the issue in the now. And we eliminate on purpose language like you always, you never. I mean, it comes up every now and then when we're tired. But we've practiced this to develop a healthy relationship. You've got to get rid of that language. You can't speak to each other that way. You just can't. It's so destructive. You know, you have to talk about, well, when you did this in this moment, this is what happened. You know, you, you, you relate it. You solve the problem. You talk about the issue. That's not what I'm saying. But you can't keep, you know, 
back in 19, back in 2015. You remember when we were at your mother's house? What? When? 2015 when? You know, I mean, you can't do that. It just, it just, it continues to, to do it. So you want to improve your relationship? Put gratitude in there. My wife is way better than I am at it. I try to imitate her, but she's way better at it. My wife is always telling me how much she values me, how much she appreciates me, and what I mean to her, and how grateful she is for me, right? In between yelling at me because I didn't take the garbage out or something, she wants me to know that she loves me, appreciates me, and values me. (laughs) I try to imitate her, and she loves it, but I can't do it as her. You know why? Women, you're amplifiers. Okay, I shared this in first service, so this works well. We have to understand each other. Guys, you need to understand that that woman is an amplifier. If you give her love, she is going to amplify that love. But if you give that woman trouble, that girl is going to amplify that trouble like you have never seen. Not because she wants to, but because it's her created design. The woman is created to maximize, or she's an Ezra Kinedgo. God has made the woman to surround with strength. So what happens is, is women tend to surround with strength. They tend to build out around. That's why when men don't lead the home or give the woman no direction, she becomes very what? It's an F word, but it's not the F word that second letter is U. It's R. Frustrated. Thank you. Right? So when there's no leadership within the home, the woman herself becomes frustrated because her design is to build around. Point me in a direction. You know, point us in a direction. Like, as a, as a family, what are we? And she builds around that. You know, that's how she is. And she amplifies. She does more than you do. Uh-huh. You may do certain things better, but she, without a doubt, can do more than you. She amplifies in those areas. And if you don't believe that, you just look around. So that's the way it is. And so like, like understanding each other within the relationship, you have to know what you're dealing with, right? So men, you're called to know your wife. The Bible says Adam knew Eve. It wasn't just sexually knowing her. He knew her. He understood her, not her personally, but her creation, her design, her wants, her needs. It's not all about the woman. Because I can tell you the woman gives herself into the I don't know why I'm saying all this to y'all, but the woman gives herself into the relationship more than the guy does. 100%. I give myself, I love, but when she loves me, I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I got that. You know, her love for me is like whoosh, like a tidal wave. Mine's like a little stream. It's a river. You know, I got a little river there, and, and it's powerful. My love is directed, you know, but when she loves, it's just overwhelming senses of love. Women will give anything for love. Women will give everything for love. They will sacrifice everything for love. That nature is given to them by their heavenly father. The woman and the man together reflect God. The Lord, when Adam was created and he was divided, the nature of Adam was divided as well. Adam in whole reflected the Imago Dei, the image of God. But when God separated Adam and created Eve, he separated the nature of God, and each one carries a particular part of his nature. That's why the two shall become ehad, the two shall become one, And that oneness reflects the love and the relationship of God. That's the design. He did it on purpose. That's why man is incomplete without the woman. And the woman is incomplete without the man. But together they create a completeness. Now why isn't it perfect? Because we're corrupted by sin. And we're corrupted by selfishness. And we're corrupted by dysfunction. That's why the lordship of Christ has to be involved in the relationship. Not the religious lordship of Jesus. 
we got a lot of religion, but we don't have the relational side. I love her because my, my God commands me to. She honors me because her God commands her to. Not because I deserve it, but because he says so. Because sometimes I don't deserve it. He tells me to love her, not because she deserves it, because sometimes she doesn't deserve it. <gasps> I know it's hard to believe, but, he, but he, he commands me to. This is the dynamic. This is why we don't marry unbelievers. The reason we don't marry unbelievers is because an unbeliever has no accountability to the Lord whatsoever. If they, you know, I get women coming to me all the time, like, oh, hell yeah, I am. I'm like, is he a Christian? No, he's not a Christian. I'm like, well, I can try. If he's a Christian, well, I'm going to put it on the table. Do you claim Christ as Lord? Yes, you do. Well, then this is what the Bible commands you. It's not about your feelings. It's not about your want. It's what the Bible tells you to do, you know. So you can still choose selfishly. You can still choose arrogantly, but you're not pleasing and honoring God. So this is like, this is the dynamics of how this stuff works. So, but gratitude is, is actually a bond within the relationship. I try to love her. I try to honor her. I try to value her. And that gratitude and appreciating her um, is what helps heal marriages. So if you're having difficulty in marriages, get rid of you always, you never, and start valuing, start honoring. I appreciate you. I love it when you do that. That's what I really enjoy about you, you know. So the devil always wants you to focus on the negatives, particularly in marriage. He wants you to focus on the 20. People get divorced over 20. I mean, if you're married to a Christian, Christians get divorced, but it's usually over 20%. 80% is functional. The 20% that's dysfunctional is what we divorce over. Ignorance and arrogance. Unbelievers have no accountability. You have to understand that if you marry an unbeliever, that unbeliever is accountable to no one but themselves. They're self-worshippers. They're self-idolers. They see you as a person in their life to serve them. They don't have any concept that there's anything higher than themselves. And what have you done for me lately? You know, that whole kind of feed me expectation. That's why it, just, it turns into narcissism. And when you don't meet my need, you know, then I don't want to be with you any longer. When you don't meet my standard, then I don't want to be with you any longer. It's not this mutuality. I change because I love her, and I change because God requires me. So I'm going to get off the marriage subject right now. So relationship opens doors. Did I help anybody here? Am I helping? Am I helping? All right. Gratitude opens doors. Do you want to help ungrateful people? Anybody here? Do you want to help grateful people? What if they're ungrateful? You'll help them too? Well... Hallelujah, right there. By nature, we don't want to help anybody. That's like that. This is our nature. I mean, I'm not talking, like in Christ, I can help anybody. But you get people that are constantly taking advantage of. What if you had people that borrowed $1,000 from you, and you wanted to borrow $1,000 every month, and he never paid you back? Would you keep helping him? Corey's like, uh, I'm thinking about that one. What if he borrowed your car, and he trashed it? Then you got a new car, and he wanted to borrow it again. He trashed that one. Then he came back to you the third time. You know, see, okay, so you don't want to help them. Okay, now we're getting down to the truth, right? So, like, when we take people, we don't want to help people that take advantage of us. We don't want to help people that hurt us. That's just by nature. We don't want to do that. But when people are grateful for what you give, you want to give them more, don't you? It's just the way we are. We want to give more, right? So what happens is when, you're grat when you have gratitude, it opens doors. Say it with me. Honor creates access. That's right. That's why we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We honor him, therefore we have access to him. Honor creates access. Where there is no honor, there is no access. You want to get in, you know, build bonds and relationships with people? Begin to honor them. It's a culture of honor. That's another rhythm of the kingdom, is a culture of honor. It's a culture not just of gratitude, but of honor, value, value and worth upon the person, not upon their actions or their deeds, but that's another story. 
Gratitude is the mark of maturity for believers. It's one of the things that tells us that we're growing in Christ. It's one of the things that tells us that we're actually maturing. If you can't be grateful, you're not mature, period. Sink your roots deep in Christ. This is uh, Colossians 2. Build your life upon him. Solid words right there. Be strengthened in the faith in which you are taught. So build your life upon Jesus. Sink your roots into him. Build upon what he is teaching and what you're being taught. And let your life overflow with thanksgiving. That's what he's telling us. It's a mark of maturity. This word for root is radicalis. It means committed. It's where we get the word radical from. We're radical Christians. Anybody radical Christians here? Huh? Anybody? 100% sold out the whole route, completely under the lordship of whatever he says I do. That's what it's about. It's about the kingdom of God being yielded and submitted unto the kingdom of God. Rooted, radical, means committed. When that dude jumps off a cliff, you're like, radical. That was like a huge commitment. Man, you were really rooted in this thing. You were really committed to this thing. That's what the word rooted or radical means. Rooted means you actually believe it. We have to come to a place where we're that kind of believer. We have to come to a place where God's dominion rules in every area of our life. This is key. This is how God's kingdom comes to pass. You have a destiny and a purpose. You do. You, have to, you are created and designed by God to make a significant impact in the world in which you are created. You are a chosen generation, but you are not just a chosen generation. You are chosen within your generation to do something great and mighty. What is it? I don't know, but I feel it, right? One of the ways we bring that to pass, this is why Christians struggle. Christians struggle and they get disappointed all of the time because they can't move forward. They feel it, they sense it, but they can't move forward, and they don't know why. Well, one of the biggest issues, there's others, but one of the biggest issues is, is obedience. There are areas and spheres of your life that need to be brought under the dominion of the Lord, the king's dominion. When you come to Christ, you are, under, you are now adopted as a child, but you can be a Christian, and nobody tells you what to do with your money. Your money is not under the king's dominion. Nobody tells you what to do with your time. Your time's not under the king's dominion. Nobody tells you what to do with your body. Your body's not under the king's dominion. Nobody tells you what to think. Your thinking's not under the king's dominion. In order to, you have to reconcile these areas of your life. You have to take your money and put it under the lordship of Jesus and do what he tells you to do. The tithe and the offering is a command. You don't have to, you get to. But if you won't, Bible says you're double-minded, then don't think of it, don't, don't expect anything from the Lord, because the Lord says, this is the dominion that I have directed, and you say you have a better idea. So Jesus says this, and you say that. You're split. You can't flow in blessing. We get Christians all the time. This generation's notorious. Don't you dare tell me what to do with my body. Don't you dare tell me how to act. Don't you dare tell me I can't live with my boyfriend. Don't you dare tell me I can't do whatever I want. This generation is off the chart like no other generation before, extremely permissive, particularly in the area of morality, very permissive. Your, your body is not under the king's dominion. It's not what you want. It's what he says. It's not what you think. It's what he says. And if you can't adapt to that, then you're not under his dominion. I didn't say he didn't love you. I didn't even say you're saved. You're not saved. You are. I meet tons of Christians that are just like that. They're born again and saved, but they do whatever they want. They come and go as they please. You know, they're not tithers, they're tippers. They don't, they don't ever, don't tell me what to do with my time. Oh, that's inconvenient for me. 
Don't ask me something that's inconvenient for me. Don't ask me to give up a portion of my time that's, that, that, that I have to give up. Don't ask me that. You're ruling your time. Does Jesus rule your time? Does he rule your relationships? Does he rule your body? Does he rule your thinking? Right? Lord speaks of impartation. He speaks of kingdom. He speaks of power. Well, I think it doesn't matter what you think. You have to subordinate your thinking unto him. People can't do it. They can't do it. They want to retain what they feel. They want to retain what they think. Christians are worship at the altar of ego, and they worship the idolatry of the mind. They bow to only their will. Oh, Lord, I want your will. I want your will. And then he tells them, and if what he tells them hurts, they don't do it. And if what he tells them is inconvenient, they don't do it because your ego is greater than the dominion of God in your life. Your pride and your arrogance exceeds his right to command you. Not because he doesn't want you. You see, Jesus doesn't force himself on you. You have to cooperate with him. He's not forcing. Well, if God wanted it, he would do it. No, wrong answer. You have to collaborate with him. You have to willfully, you have to yield to him. And if you don't, then you, it doesn't happen. We worship at the altar of ego all day long. We worship at the, we have intellectual idolatry. Well, I think God's like this. And I know the word of God says this, but I think God says this. I think what he's meaning is this. You are an idolater of the mind. You worship the intellect. I'm just saying it like it is. And so some people have to confront that and say, wow, that's me. What do you do? You crucify it. You willfully submit yourself into something you don't understand. You willfully yield yourself into something you don't want to do. I don't want to live this way, but the Lord commands it. Therefore, I will. I don't understand it. See, we think we have to understand it in order to do it. He doesn't tell you to understand it. He tells you to do it. This is what we think. We think we have to have this, well, when he shows me and I understand, then I'll do it. Wrong answer. Disobedient child. You don't have to understand it. He commands it. And that's, again, king's dominion. If we want kingdom, I'm not talking about Christianity. We can have cultural Christianity all the way. We want kingdom. We come under the king's dominion. We do what he says. Whether we want to or not, whether we feel like it or not, that's kingdom. Then we know we're operating in the dominion of the Lord. Just a thought. Now we have to, we have to submit this stuff. We don't agree. We agree with culture. We don't agree with kingdom. We agree with church. We don't agree with kingdom. Church culture is not kingdom culture. Neither is world culture kingdom culture. You're going to, you're going to yield to one of them. You're going, to, you're going to be under the influence of one of them. You will not be neutral. You're not going to establish your own culture. You will be influenced by the world's culture. You will be influenced by the world's culture or the church culture, or you will be influenced by the kingdom culture. The kingdom culture requires you to learn something different. The kingdom culture re requires you to step into the unfamiliar. That's what it does. The kingdom culture requires your vulnerability, and the kingdom culture requires your humility which is the root word of humiliation. It requires the sacrifice of your ego. And if you can't get there, you're not going there. It's just that simple. So we just need to understand why we can't get where we're going. We need to understand why we can't bring to pass. It's not just an obedience in all of these externals. There's other areas that we have to yield to. God cannot bring abundant prosperity into your life unless you are committed to tithe. You, you, can, you can earn money all kinds of ways. But if the Lord gives it to you, it's not going anywhere. You can go out there and with a, with a, with a Midas touch and a, you know, a velvet glove, you can go out there and make money. People do it all day long, but they're susceptible to losing it. It's vulnerable to them. That asset is not protected. 
because it didn't come through the Lord. It came through you. But when you do it and the Lord provides the river, it comes back. No one has the right to take away what God has given you. No one. The guy here is about to lose a bunch of buildings because of COVID. All these banks were trying to collapse on him and all this other stuff. He's asking me, you think, this guy, you think it's God taking away my property? I'm like, what? I'm like, did Jesus give you the buildings? I'm like, yeah. I said, is what happening to you good and perfect? He said, no. Then this isn't from the Lord. And he said, well, I'm, if I can just hold on to this many buildings, it'll be all right. I said, I wouldn't give up one. I said, if I have 10 buildings and the devil's going to offer me to keep three, I'm, I'm not keeping three. I'm not making that deal. You're giving me back all 10 because you didn't give it to me. I didn't earn it. This came from the Lord, and I know it. He has no right to yield that. No right because it came from the Lord. Now, if me and my genius and my expert machinations and Jesus isn't involved in any of my mechanics is over here and I'm not fully submitted, then everything that I have is vulnerable. But if it's in him, it's immovable. And you know what he got? All of it back. All of it. All of it. I see it all the time. I'm like, put faith on it. Put a knife on your teeth and a rag on your head and fight for what God has given you. But it's, there's a difference. There's a difference. We want to do it, but we don't want to involve the Lord. Do it his way, and, he's, and it, no one can take it from you. The blessings of the Lord are sure, and no sorrow is added to it. No one can take it from you. Jesus gave it to you. Jesus isn't taking my children. The Lord gave them to me. Jesus isn't taking my marriage. My, my marriage is founded in Christ. It's, it's not happening. Unless I allow it, you know, I can let the devil come in and take whatever I want. But he has no authority to take it because it wasn't given by him and it didn't come by me. He eats flesh or he eats dust, Christian. Everything that is created of the dust, he consumes. But if it's created of heaven, it's not his to consume. Just a thought. Yeah. Wow. Come on. Right? It's not his. That's why king's dominion is important. That's why yielding to Jesus is important because it insulates you. It protects you. That's right. That's right. we got to understand this stuff. You're here. You're in this church because you want to go further. This isn't cotton candy and pinwheels. You know, we got disco lights, but that's about it. I, got, I try to wear skinny jeans, but I don't know. I can't pull it off completely. <laughs> I do my best. But, you know, it's not about that. This, 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 people that come here want more. Even if you're a new believer, you know, this place will impact you in such a way, this word, I believe, will impact you in such a way that you're going to go, I don't even know what I just would just hit me, but I want more of it. We see it all the time. We got to realize, we got to stop playing Christian games. At some point, average can no longer be good enough. At some point, we have to say, this is not, we can play church, we can do it, we can just, you know, ooh, pretend everything's great, everything's awesome, you know. And wow, you know, but really, if we look at it from a kingdom perspective, it's not what the Lord has designed. It's not. Ravaging of Christians' lives. Who, what right does the devil claim to destroy a daughter of the highest? What right do you claim to touch them? What right do you claim to even speak to them? Somebody asked me, you hear voices? I said, I don't hear any voice. First of all, I've gotten rid of all the garbage. I've done all the inner healing. I'm still doing it. still progressing. I'm using it, progressing. No devil speaks to me. Not now, not ever. No voice of condemnation, no voice of fear, nothing. So, like, how do you do that? I'm like, what right do you claim to speak to me? You have no right to speak to me. You are beneath me. You have no authority to speak to me. None. That's right. It's just true. 
Bible says this, the sacrifice that honors me is thanksgiving from, is, th- is a thankful heart. God honors, what honors the Lord is a sacrifice from a thankful heart. It's a sacrifice because you don't always feel like it. You don't feel like it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, I always feel like thanking the Lord. Do you? Do you really? 1 Thessalonians, be thankful in all th- on all circumstances, for this is the will of God to those who belong to Christ. We're to be thankful in the circumstance, not for the circumstance. What's the difference? Lord, I just thank you for this circumstance. I know that losing everything is a lesson of humility to me, and I know you're judging me, and you're just looking down upon me, and you're doing something in my life, Lord. You give and take away. You give and take away. Wrong theology. Old Testament economy that was not fully formed, not New Testament economy. Thanking him in it. Father, I don't care what's happening here. I know you are good. I, don't, I cannot control this circumstance, but I know that you're going to turn it around. Lord, I thank you that even in my mistakes, you will turn it for my good. I thank you that you are for me when everything is against me. I thank you that you will supersede everything. That, that's thanking him in the circumstance, not for it. I thank you that you are greater than what I see. I will not be moved by fear. I will not be moved by emotions. I will be moved by faith, Lord. And I thank you for the faith to move the mountains that I face. That's thanking him in the circumstance, not for it. The Bible never tells us to thank him for it. It tells us to thank him in it. Why? Because it's an expression of faith. Faith is the catalyst of transformation. Without faith, you cannot catalyze the transformation. Faith is the binding element, and faith is the active thing that makes the kingdom catalyze. You cannot catalyze without faith. God needs the transaction of faith in order to materialize. It's just a fact. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. They that come to him must believe that he is and that he will do what he said he will do. You have to have faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. Not in it. It's God's will. You want to know if you're in God's will? Are you grateful? Say, it's really bad. Give him great. Give him glory. Thank him. He's going to turn around. Thank him. We honor God from a thankful heart. God is desiring for us to honor him from a thankful heart. We are to live a lifestyle of gratitude that leads to access. And the access, say it with me. Gratitude provides me with access. And the access will lead me to success. We want success without access. We think Jesus is just... You know, he's a, I don't know, whatever we think. He's some wizard or something. Like he's about, he's all, he's up there. What happens is when you come to Christ, the Bible says this, you are called out of darkness and into light. The, the word calling upon the Christian's life is a Greek word, ekaleo. I use it a lot here. Ekaleo. It not only means to call, it means to summon. Now put that in perspective. Here we have king, kingdom again. All of the language within the original is always about his kingship. So when the Lord calls you, he's summoning you. The Bible in ignorance has looked upon man's ignorance and has overlooked sin, but now commands repentance at Kaleo. He's commanding the entire world out of sin. He's commanding the entire world out of darkness. And you are the fortunate ones who have actually heard the calling. But look, you come out of darkness and you come into light. That's one step. You were called out from, you were called unto. Second step is unto. Right? So we come unto our Father in order to know Him. The idea is to know His heart, know His mind, know His ways, all of that to understand who He is to us and who we are to Him. We are called unto. And then he, we allow Him to know us. He already knows us. 
But we allow him, we surrender our vulnerability, we surrender our ego, we surrender our pride, we surrender our will, we surrender every part of us until nothing of you is left. <gasps> if any man be in Christ, he's a what? That's right. Jesus isn't interested in the old you. He's not interested in what you used to be or who you think you are. He's not interested in it. He's not interested at all. He's wanting to make you the new creation. He's wanting to manifest the new creation. And the way he does that is he brings you to himself, unto. It's this intimacy of relationship where you begin to know the heart of your father. You begin to know his mind. You begin to know his ways. And then you begin to allow him to know you. You let him into the deepest, darkest places of your life. That's painful. Ego preserves vulnerability. Say it with me. Healing is at the point of vulnerability. But my ego will always defend my vulnerability. Yeah. Ego comes up to defend the vulnerable. That's why you got to recognize your ego and kill it every time that traitor puts its head up. Right? Ego defends the vulnerable. But you can't be whole. You, you cannot get healed and you cannot be restored without the vulnerability. That's why people can't interact with the spirit, because it requires invulnerability, right? And you know, you see it every Sunday. You see it with Christians in particular. Ego's there. Lift your hands. I'm not. I'm not. I feel too vulnerable. Lift your hands. Lift your flipping hands, man. You got to take yourself by the collar and just go. You're going to lift your hands. You are going to honor this king. You are going to open your mouth. My ego is not going to keep me from the intimacy that it comes through vulnerability. What keeps you? We, that's what happens. We do spiritual interactions. You know why? You feel vulnerable. Do you know why? Because it's what he wants. He want, he's not after your ego and your pride and your status and your projection of who you think you are. He's unimpressed, un, insignificant to him. Your intellect, your accomplishments, your achievements, your Facebook page, your Instagram friend, whatever, your TikTok numbers. He doesn't care. He's interested in you. And so when we do an impartation, people feel weird. What? You're feeling vulnerable? You mean you got to actually lay down your ego to receive what the Lord is imparting? Exactly. 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 It's what he wants. We have to give him what he wants. See, the church does everything to preserve the ego. The, per the, the church does everything to preserve the dignity of the, of the worshiper. Jesus is stripping the worshiper down. It has nothing to do with dignity. David worshipped undignified, did he not? And it was honored the Lord, right? And his wife comes to him and says, oh, how you, and this is a long story, I'm not going to pick on the wife, but this is what ended up happening. She said to him, oh, you were so uncovered before the king. You were so vulnerable before the people. Don't you have any self-respect, David? Don't you have any ego? Don't you have any pride to protect? Don't you have any affluence before the people? Aren't you concerned what people think of you? David said, it's undignified worship, and if it glorifies the Lord, you haven't seen anything. If dancing in my underwear brings him glory, I'm going to dance Tarzan next time, right? We're going loincloth, right? I'm going to strip it down as far as I can. If, it, if, if, dignity, if, if in, lack of dignity is what he wants, if vulnerability is what he's required, then he can have it all. But we create cultures that protect the dignity. It's all about preservation of the dignity. Bless God, brother. We're so dignified when we talk to each other. It's like, who cares? You know, really, who cares? It's not about that. We have to come to a place of intimacy. We all pro we're projecting all the time. Always projecting, projecting, projecting. Hypocrisy, wearing the mask. 
Church is full of hypocrites. I always tell people, yep, and there's room for one more. Come on down. Yeah, join the party. But Jesus, he wants to bring us to that place. So leadership has to create an environment where that doesn't exist. There has to be an environment created. The culture is created by the leadership. Hmm? When you come to a church, you come under a yoke, just so you know. And the Bible says everything produces after its own kind. So what you sit under is what you become. So you've had egotistical megalomaniac leaders. You're going to have an egotistical megalomaniac church. You have vain, self-promoting, profiled leaders. You're going to have vain, self-promoting, profiled Christians. You have poverty mentality pastors who are always looking at the judgment of God and woe is me. You're going to have poverty mentality, woe is me Christians who are always seeing the same thing. Everything produces after its own kind. It's the way it is. And so what's the, what's the goal? The goal of the leader is to find out what he wants and give Jesus what he wants. That's the goal. What do you want, Lord? I want this. I want to go to their vulnerability. Well, what's required? Ego. You first, Kevin. You first. See, I can't talk to you without ego without sacrificing my own. I cannot lead you past ego if I've not destroyed my own or I'm in the consistent process of doing it. I cannot talk to you about vulnerability if I've not engaged my own. It's impossible because it comes across flat. It doesn't come across living. It comes across as something you know. It's not about something you are. Just a thought. Well, you guys are getting good stuff today, man. I haven't even gotten to the notes. I'm just like, this is like... Straight out of the oven. It's like Krispy Kreme donuts, man, just coming right out of the oven. Hey, what's going on here? Bagels over here, donuts over here. I'm like, what? Lifestyle that leads to honor, that leads to success, that access that leads to success in him. God has no problem with success, none at all. What he wants is access. He has no problem with success. Access leads to success. Why and how we honor our father? We honor him for who he is. We honor him for the beauty, for his heart, for who he is. We don't honor him for what he's done yet. Our first attitude towards the Lord is for who he is. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is great, worthy to be praised. No one can understand his greatness. Say it with me. The Lord is greater than I think. <laughs> Therefore, I must change the way that I think. That's right. He's greater than I think. I need to adapt my mentality a little bit. I need to get expand and free my mind. We honor the Lord not for, not for just his hand. We honor the Lord for his heart and for his face. John's key to revelation, John had the most keen insights of all of the apostles. No one was as deep as John. Nobody. They're all great. They're all amazing. But John, forget it, man. John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation, and the Gospel of John. Why is that? Because John wanted his heart. You see at the table, Peter was sitting next to him. They are all sitting around him. Most were content to be in the room with him. John said, I want his heart. The Bible says he had his head upon his breast. I want to know what beats in your heart, Lord. I want to know what matters to you. What matters to me is insignificant. What do you care about? I want to care about what you care about. I want to see as you see. I want to believe as you believe. I want to know as you know. I want to love as you love. I want to think as you think. I want to do as you do. And what did Jesus give him? <laughs> right? Peter was jealous of him. But Peter was content to sit with him. Peter couldn't get past certain places in his life. Peter was still there. Peter was still in the room. Peter was still honored. But John was going, I want the heart, and I'll do whatever it takes to get the heart of God. 
whatever I have to sacrifice, whatever I have to kill in my own life, whatever has to, whatever lane of obedience I've got to constrain, I'm going to do it because I want the heart of God. Amen. That's the only way you get it. It doesn't come any other way. Give thanks to the Lord and remember how holy he is. This word holy means pure, clean. God's intentions toward you are pure. He, he means no evil. He is light and in him is no darkness at all. So his heart towards you is always good. His heart towards you is perfect. He has no ulterior motives. He has no selfish motives. You were created as an object of blessing. That's how man was created. You weren't created to serve him. You were created to be blessed by him. The angels were created to serve him. You were created to be heirs. <laughs> yeah. And as heirs, we serve our father. So our service isn't this sort of mandated service. Our service is in relationship and in congruency to our identity. That's what it is. He's holy. His intentions towards you are very pure. Give thanks to the Lord for his love's unfailing. Everything in life's going to fail except God's love. Love is the highest purpose. No matter what God is, no matter what happens, the Lord will not stop seeking your highest good. Love in God's economy is to seek the highest good. No matter what happens, say it with me. Jesus loves me when I don't love me. Jesus is for me even when I'm against me. Right? You're against you, but he never is. You don't always love you, but he always does. He's always for you. If my heart condemns me, God is greater than my heart and knows all things. My heart has no right to exalt itself against the love that God has for me. My heart doesn't always accept me. The Lord says it's, it's irrelevant. What's relevant is that I accept you. Your heart is not greater than me. We thank the Lord because he is just. Say with me, justice is the right use of power. Injustice is the abuse of power. Anybody ever suffered the abuse of power? People more authoritative than you, people in a place, a system maybe, you know, abusing their powers. People, places, and things, abuse. That's, that's what injustice is, is the abuse of power. Having the power to do what is right and not doing it. Having the power to do what is right and using it to hurt or harm rather than to help. Justice is when power is used correctly. And so Bible says that God is just. You don't ever have to feel, fear God's power because he uses it in the right way. He's just. God does not abuse his power, nor does he abuse his authority. In fact, he doesn't even lead with his authority. He leads with relationship. He could lead with authority. He's king, and he has every right to lead with that. But he doesn't. He leads with relationship. Now, when you're in the relationship, then he introduces you to this side of himself. But that's for a, for a higher purpose. He's just. The other thing that justice means is equalization. Some of you have suffered great pains and great harm. The Bible tells us he's going to equalize it all. It's going to make your enemies your footstool. All of your losses will be restored, including your stupidity. The Lord will do it. He's a God of justice. He will equalize. He brings things into balance. He balances it. I thank God because he is good, Psalm 54, 6. Uh, for, then second reason we thank God, we thank him for who he is, and we thank him for what he has done. The Lord says, I will thank you forever for what you have done, Psalm 52. Has Jesus done anything for you, anything at all? And give him glory. Has he helped you? Give him glory. Has he delivered you? Has he freed you? Has he financially provided for you? Has he provided for you in any way? We give God thanks for who he is, and we give God thanks for what he has done. This is Thanksgiving. Let us praise the name of the Lord in all things because we are created at his command. The greatest thing we can thank him for is life. He's literally given you existence. I don't know if you've ever taken a moment to understand existence. 
You ever, you ever thought about that? Like, what, what, where, where did I come from? You know, like, what am I? You know, kind of like God's given you life. The greatest gift that he could give us is not just life, but eternal life. Right? He gives us life. And that gift is, is, is our, the gift of life that he gives to us. That's his gift to us. The, what we do with it is our gift to him. And you can present your life as a gift to him. Or you can't. Or not. Or not. We praise God because he answers prayers. The Lord hears you. Jesus hears you. The Lord hears your prayers. He hears your concerns. He hears your wants and your needs. He will hear your prayers. I praise the Lord because he guides me. So we give him thanks. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing in this situation. I'm confused. I'm surrounded by confusion. Nobody seems to know. I don't know, but you know. The Lord will guide you. He will guide you. you we, are, we are an endowed people. We subordinate ourselves to the common when we are created to be the exceptional constantly lowering ourselves to commonality when we are the exceptional. We have access to wisdom no one else has. Insight, keys, all kinds of stuff, realms the believer has access to, but we subordinate it. We're always lowering it, always dumbing it down, always trying to make it more palatable. I had a pastor tell me, Kevin, you shoot too high. You need to put it down here. I'm like, man, the cookies are down here, dude. I said, I put the cookies down there. They can get the cookies. But if you don't like what I'm, I'm shooting up here, because people will need to rise to that level. I believe if you, put the, if you shoot here, you'll rise. And when I came to Jesus, I didn't know anything. And they were teaching way over my head, way over my head. But it didn't go, well, I'm getting, I don't know about this. It made me rise. It made me reach. I was hearing something that was more powerful than anything I had ever known. And I could hear something that my spirit was echoing towards and I leaned towards it. You need to rise. We need to rise. Not dumb down our faith. Not accept common when we're exceptional. <laughs> Why would we settle for common when we're created to be exceptional? <laughs> Nobody knows what to do. Jesus knows what to do. I'm going to get wisdom. Boom, he's going to tell me. I'm getting, it doesn't matter. Any area of your life, God's going to show you. I will praise him because you saved me. Psalm, 94, or Psalm 9 verse 14. We were spiritually dead in our sins and our sinful nature. But God has given us new life in Christ. He has forgiven our sins and canceled out the record of condemnation against us. He took it and destroyed it through nailing it to the cross. Jesus not only gives you life, the greatest gift beyond that is eternal life. Do you know who I'm talking to here this morning? Immortals. You are immortal. Has that thought ever hit you? You are an immortal. You will not die. You will pass from one existence to the other with the concept of merely passing through a veil. That's what it means. Your existence, you, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. Death has become your butler. Death is your usher. Death is the bonding agent of the lost. Death will seize them and take them where they don't want to go, believe me. But death has nothing on the believer. Just, oh, right this way. Yeah, right this way. It's your usher. God has reduced the most powerful substance in the universe. Death is more powerful than the devil. There's a spirit of death, and it's more powerful than the devil. Death is the last thing thrown into the pit, by the way. The devil and the false prophet go, and the last thing God destroys is death. Yeah. And God has taken the most powerful entity against man, and he's reduced it to a doorkeeper. Yeah. And we'll walk right past death. Yo. Once, 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 once. 
Come on, immortals. Superpowered and endowed sons and daughters who live immortally. You are an immortal. Walt Disney's cryogenically frozen because he wants immortality. And I tell people, Jesus hands it out like Tic Tacs. You want immortality? Here you go. You want immortality? Here you go. You want immortality? Here you go. You don't have to spend millions of dollars in a cryo chamber, you know, waiting for some scientific evolution. We thank God for what he has promised. So we thank him for what he's, who he is. We thank him for what he has done. And we thank him ready for what he is going to do. This is powerful. You'll see the connection between what, what, where the power of this is. Because what he has done is done. But what he is going to do, when you put faith on what he is going to do, things change. Say it with me. Jesus is not finished doing good things in my life. He's not done. He who had began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He didn't take you this far to leave you. He didn't teach you to swim to let you drown. He didn't build his home in you to move away. He didn't lift you up to let you down, as the song goes. The one who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's not giving up on you. So why are you giving up? Jesus is never going to give up on you. The only one that quits is you, right? When you subordinate yourself to a voice that's lesser than your father's. When you yield to pride and ego and, and lesser voices, that's what makes you quit. You're, you will never hear your Heavenly Father telling you to quit on anything he's told you to do, ever. What does Jesus have for me? Well, that's a great question. 7,000 promises, that's what he has for you. 7,000 promises within the scripture. If you can't find a promise, you're not looking. You're not. Say it with me. Promises have condition. Say this, inheritance needs to be activated, but a promise, the condition must be met. Your destiny, your purpose, your vision, all of those things are promises. There are conditions that must be met. Inheritance is given. You just have to activate it. That's why believers can prophesy because it's your inheritance. You activate it. Believers can lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. They'd be glad because it's your inheritance. Believers have all these gifts. The inheritance, all you, you have to activate. But the promise, you have to meet the condition. Call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. God's going to show me great and mighty things that I know not of. Not if you don't call on him. The condition of that promise is you call upon him. Right? If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. I'm going to eat the good of the land. Not if you're not willing and obedient. Right? If you, if you will diligently listen to all that I have commanded you this day. Deuteronomy 28. Blessed will you be in the city. Blessed will you be in the country. Blessed will you be in your coming in. You're going out. Blessed will your children be. Blessed will your kneading bowl be. Blessed will your harvest fields be. In every area of your life, blessed will be what you put your hand to. Lord says, if you listen to me, what you stick your hand towards, I'm going to bless it. You're like, what? Everything this guy touches, yeah, he blesses it. That blessing doesn't come unless you do what he says. If you will do what I tell you, then this is going to happen. So all of these, all of these promises have a condition. Given it shall be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will the Lord cause others to pour into you and give you back? God's going to cause other people to heap it upon me, not if you don't give. Mm -mm. The promise comes with a condition. It's not your inheritance. It's not your salvation. You're loved. You're provided for. You're taken in your inheritance. But the promises have to be activated. You have to do something. Destiny has to be activated. It's an invitation. God gives you a dream and a vision. Anybody have a vision? Anybody know? The Lord ever spoke an echo to you, showed you something? It's an invitation. It's not a guarantee. See, we think that, we think that the vision is a, is a guarantee. The vision is not a guarantee. The vision is an invitation. The Lord shows you something and says, do you, you want to agree with this? 
I got a vision for you, Connie. Here it is. Do you like it? Then come with me. It's an invitation. It's not a guarantee at all. I will praise you because you are faithful to your promises. Psalm 71, 22. Here's one of my favorite verses. The Lord says to the prophet in Jeremiah, then the Lord says, you have seen right and you have seen well, for I rise to perform my word. The seated one who has to get up for nothing because the work is done gets up when somebody begins to believe him for the promise. Jesus said, will I find faith on the earth when I come? Will I find anybody? We think it's salvation. There'll be just faithless people won't be coming to Christ. That's not what he's saying. Will I find anybody believing me for my promises when I come? Will I find anyone contending for what I said they would have? Anybody that wants to step in and will take what they want, what they were willing to give up what they have in order to gain what they cannot lose, will I find anyone doing that? Because if you, I will, I will arise from my throne to do it. I rise from my throne to perform it. Gets up to do it. There's nowhere in Scripture where the Lord arises except to battle for his people. He gets up to war for you, and he gets up to perform his word. The rest of the time, he doesn't, the idea of him being seated is he doesn't need to. There's, it's already done. He's in authority. But he himself will personally see to his word. That's what he's saying. I will personally see to what I told you. I will personally perform what I have promised how about we try that, right? Let's, let's devote a year of our life to pressing into some of this and seeing what happens. Let's go, okay, let's seek five promises and let's take 12 months and let's believe God into that promise and let's see it manifest, right? Right? Let's find a promise. You and your whole household will be saved. Father, you said me and my whole household will be saved. I put faith on that. Me and my whole household will be saved. Lord, I contend for that promise. I press into that promise. Whatever's related to that promise, you begin to do it. I don't have time. I'm running out of time. So i got to talk quick. <laughs> you have magnified your word above your name. God's promises are above his name because his promises is his name. Nothing Jesus holds above his name except his word. He gets up. So when God makes a promise to you, like we're so dull, you know, have I been with you this long and you don't know me? Are you still so dull, he would tell the disciples. Do you guys still not get this? After three years of me walking around showing you how this works, you still don't understand? Jesus would never say that. He looked right at him. Modern translation, are you guys still stupid? He used the word dull, which is a neutered translation. He's like, look, dude, faithless generation, twisted and faithless generation. How long must I bear with you? Twisted, perverted means to twist. You take truths and you twist them. And you're faithless. You believe me for nothing. That's faithless. The Christian equates faith with believing in Jesus. It's far more than that. Oh, I have faith. I believe in Jesus. Are you kidding me? Jesus told a generation that was around him, that was in his presence, that were following him, that were committed to him. He told them that they were twisted. They didn't understand truth. And the truth that they understood was distorted. It wasn't correct. Oh, that'll preach. Right? And then he tells them, faithless, you believe me for nothing. The truths that you do know, you do know you've twisted and distorted to your own concepts and your own understanding. And then you, I look at you and you're believing me for nothing. 
No one's pulling on me. No one's drawing from the anointing that is active and present with you. He wants you to put a demand on your inheritance. He wants you to put a demand on the anointing. He wants you to put a demand on the promises. Because in that quest, maturity comes. As he draws you towards that promise, he can work with you and mature you while he brings you what he has promised. But so long as we stay in this neutered state or this twisted state, everything that happens is God's will. That is a perversion of truth. That is not accurate. It is not true. And that's what he's rebuking this, this, that generation for, is that what they did know, they had twisted it. And they had no faith to pull on anything. Just a thought. God is not a man that he should neither the son of man that he should repent. The Lord says, have I not said it, will I do it? Have I not purposed it, will I not bring it to pass? I'm not lying. That's what he's saying. I dare you to believe me. I dare you to sacrifice your ego. I dare you to sacrifice your convenience. I dare you to sacrifice your knowledge and your twisted, distorted view of me and engage me because I don't lie. What I said is true. I'm devoted to this. I believe it. And I've seen it, and I'm continuing to see it, and we will continue to see it. How about you? He dares you. Most Christians are so contextualized to the, church, to the common church culture, they could never acclimate to kingdom culture because it warps their mind too much. Okay? New believers have an easier transition into kingdom culture than, than church-cultured Christians because new believers don't know anything. They're just like, woo! Where am I? And I try to take the new believer who's acclimating to kingdom culture and keep them away from the church culture because the church culture is going to come to that person and try to rob them of the very thing that they're experiencing with their doctrinal, twisted, distorted foolishness. It's true. It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. <laughs> Amen. How do we give thanks? Ready? All right, this is the last part. So short. How do we give thanks? Here comes vulnerability again. Here comes ego. Everybody say it with me. Singing. It says make a joyful noise. If you don't carry a tune in a bucket, that's okay. Sing out your thanks to him and sing praises. What this word sing means is make melody with words. You can make melody with words without actually singing, can't you? Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are good. I thank you that this day is great. I thank you that my past is over. You can make melody with words. That's what it's telling you to do. When it says sing, make melody with your words to me. Isn't that beautiful? You know why? Because Jesus is a singing God. He likes to sing. He rejoices over you with singing. That's what the Bible says. He looks at you and he starts. He's got a love song for you. Say, so Lord, sing over me, sing over me, and you'll, you just let him sing over you. You know what else he does? He has another song. He has war songs. It's my favorite. The Bible says, I sing the songs of deliverance over you. <laughs> oh, come on, man. I'm like, where are the war songs? Pull on that faith, and the Lord begin to, for your deliverance, and the Lord says, they're calling me to battle. We're going to sing the war song. And God begins to proclaim with singing over you deliverance. God begins to proclaim with singing over you victory. He's singing victory over you. You don't even know what he's singing, but he's singing victory over you. Yeah. 
He sings songs of joy and he sings songs of victory. The war cry, words with melody, that's what it means. You all can do that. You don't need to be able to sing. You know, we're not doing, you know, what is it, American Idol or The Voice. You're not doing an audition. You just make melody with your words. That's it. It's not my thing. It's Jesus' thing. Everything that's Jesus' thing needs to become your thing. It's the Lord's thing. Jesus wants me to make melody with words. I'm making melody with words. I don't know what I'm doing. It makes no sense to me. But Jesus likes it when I make melody with words. So I'll make melody with words because he's my king. I don't know. I'm trying to throw it off a little bit so that you guys don't. So offering, second way you do it is with offering. Give an offering to show how, give it, show your thanks to God as he's promised you. Go above and beyond the tithe. What's happening is what God is expecting you to do, not only what he has done for you, but give an offering unto him and put faith on that offering and say, Lord, I'm getting, because of your goodness and the experiential goodness of what I've experienced with you, I'm laying down an offering and I'm believing you for a sevenfold increase. I'm believing you for a fourfold increase. I'm believing you for this. The tithe is an act of obedience. The offering is an act of declaration. Hmm? There's an immediate promise attached to the tithe. We put the offering before you. Strike hands with the Lord on the offering. He's the deal maker. The offering is where you strike hands. You make a deal. Make a trade. Lord, I present this offering to you and I place faith upon it. Just a thought. Celebrate the harvest festival and honor the Lord. Bring him a free will offering in proportion to what he has given you. It's an offering above the tithe. The next is prayer. This is quick. Give thanks to the Lord and pray to him. Open your mouth and bless him. You know how many times the Bible tells you to open your mouth, Christian? You're not a Benedictine monk, right? We're not silent. Be quiet. We're before the Lord. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to take that posture, except rarely in a meditative thing when the Lord is going to speak to you. But when you're in his presence, shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Make his praises known in the congregation of saints. What shall we say to these things? Over and over again, the Lord tells us to bless him with our mouths. We're supposed to open our mouths. There's power in our words. The enemy wants mute. He likes mute Christians. Jesus likes singing, proclaiming, joyful, praising Christians. And the devil wants the mute. He's mute over us. And the enemy, we have to break that. Last thing, don't have time for that. Tell, tell others. Everybody say it with me. Tell the world. Tell the world how good Jesus is. How do you tell the world? Share the stream. That's an easy one. But we got something even better. We want you to invite somebody to church this year, right? We did some cards over there. We have five cards or two different, no, five cards. I don't have five cards. We want you to invite five people. Got a couple of cards, like the, our cards say experience hope. And the other one says experience purpose. We want you to take them and we want you to give them out. Invite people. Well, how do I give them out? You can do a drive-by, okay? You're getting coffee through the drive-through window. You just throw one at the barista as you're driving away. You can do a drive-by invite, right? That counts. You can, do, you can do just like a little dip when you're eating out. You just put it on the table and, you know, like a ducking, a ducking invite, you know, you can do one of those. Or you can just reach out to people and you can invite them. Most people don't invite because they say, oh, I don't see any success because you're not inviting enough people. It's a numbers game. If you invite 10, if you, statistically, if you invite 10 people, one's going to respond. What happens is, is we invite one person, that one person doesn't come, we feel rejected, we feel like we're a loser, and we don't want to invite anybody else. Well, it's not about you feeling rejected and feeling like a loser. Invite 10 people. It's a numbers game, right? That's the way it is. 
you know, statistically. That's why, that's why they blanket mail your neighborhood, because they know it's a numbers game. If they thought you were the only person that was buying, you'd be getting, you know, they blanket everybody, because they know it's a statistic that if they invite for every 10, they're going to get a minimum of one response. So if they invite 100, they're going to get 10. If they invite 1,000, they're going to get 100. If they invite 10, 100, you know, that, I don't do math on the weekends. I'm losing my thought. But anyway, the more that they invite, the higher the percentages go up. So that's the idea. So don't be discouraged if you invite one person and they don't come. Invite 10. 10. Take, you know, I'm, I'm giving you a little fruit. I'm saying invite five. People are responsive to Christ at Easter and Christmas and Mother's Day. But Mother's Day is the big guilt trip, right? So Mother's Day, you get, people tend to get their family here. But Mother, oh, if, if you loved me if on Mother's Day, you would come to church with me, you know. That's the, but typically people will willfully come on Easter and Christmas, right? They don't understand anymore, but you get them to come. So, you know, it's just an opportunity for you to invite. And we're going to do a series. We're going to focus on some things uh, in, in December. So it, it'll be good. But invite them. Pick them. And here's the deal. If I invite someone, say it. Better yet, when I invite someone, I'm going to offer to pick them up. Why? Because they will acclimate to the environment quicker if you are with them. Nobody likes to go to anything new. They want their friend there with them. They want to know someone. So invite them and say, hey, look, I'll pick you up. You want me to pick you up? Yeah, come pick me up. That's cool. Then they, they come and immediately they feel connected. That's just the way it goes, right? Then the second thing you're going to do is you're going to take them to lunch. Right? You're not going to ditch them at the door. Hey, peace out later. So if it's a personal friend of yours, if it's the Starbucks chick or whatever, or the guy or whoever it is, you know, maybe you talk to them a little bit and engage them in, but, but really try to do this. Offer to pick them up because social engagement matters. And the second thing is, is take them to lunch. And when you go to lunch, bring some other people. Just bring somebody else. Hey, you know, I want to go to lunch with you. They're going to come too and just go to lunch with them. This is how you create bonds. People bond to people. They don't bond to a message or a music or even a ministry until they bond to people. People bond to people first. And so that personal connection is very, very essential. And, this, and, and again, it's, not, it's what the Lord wants. He wants us to, to do that. This is what he's asking of us. He wants to allow. How did you come to Jesus? People come to Jesus on the arms of a loving friend. That's an old-timey saying. I know, but it's a truth. People don't come to Christ except on the arms of a loving friend. And people don't come to Christ unless they're in the ditch. People seldom come to Christ when they're riding high. There's tragedy, there's transition, or there's trouble of some kind in their life. They might have a lot of money, but their marriage has fallen apart. You know, their marriage may be fine, but their kids are shot out. You know, they may be in a transition from a job. So those are beachheads for the gospel. Because man, when he's riding high and he's got everything going for him, he's not interested in any of that. Just like you weren't. When did you come to Jesus? When you're broken. When did the Spirit begin to matter to you? When you, did, when you realized that what you had wasn't enough and you needed more, right? So these are, just, these are just ways to reach people and to connect with them. And it matters. It matters. We're commanded to do it. So there's actually a crown for soul winning. So if somebody wants to get a crown for winning people to Christ, there's one available. <laughs> but I want everybody can invite. Not everybody, is a, not everybody can preach, but everybody can invite. There's no excuses for not inviting. Every Christian can be an Andrew. I don't know what to say, but I know somebody who does. 
You know, Andrew was always bringing people to Jesus. Andrew never preached, except he did preach, but he crucified him for it. So I don't think his first sermon was very good. Anyway, but um, his main, his main, his main uh, M.O. was that he brought people to Jesus. All of us can do that. All of us can. You don't need to be Billy Graham. You, know? you, you, you can just say, hey, we're, going, doing a, uh, we're doing a Christmas Eve candlelight service. Would you like to come? Perfect. That's easy. Um, we're doing, um, you know, whatever. Where church is doing some special music or whatever. Whatever it is we're doing, we're doing something. I don't exactly know, but the point is, is to invite them. And you know what you do? Ask the Lord. So we're prophetic. So here, I'll just give you some tips. I'm out of time. I'm over. But this is just a little, little on the coaching side. Ask the Lord to identify people in your circle that he wants to reach. Ask him in your workplace. Lord, is there anybody here you want to invite? Boop, 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 boop. Yeah, all of them. Well, which one do you want me to invite? Well, pick her first. Lord, what, you know, like you're looking, for, you're looking for the people. Let the Lord identify them for you. Ask the Lord what he wants to do. If you begin to listen to him, he'll tell you. Just invite her. Leave it there. Just invite her. You know, so-and-so is going through a really difficult time. She needs this. Minister to the point of pain, right? Look, I know you're going to come to people where, where people care. People will pray for you. You know, whatever. You know, you, you guys are smart people. You can figure it out. You're, you're looking to create relational bridges in people's lives, or you're looking to just cold, cold invite them. You know, throw it at the barista. Here, you know. <laughs> we were downtown witnessing one time for the Latin Grammys. This is a funny story. And then I'm going to close. This is true. And all these limos were going by. And J-Lo was in one of the limos. Whether you care about J-Lo or not, I don't know. But J-Lo was, was in the limo, and she had her window down. And so my friend was running up to her, trying to tell, Jesus, tell her about Jesus, J-Lo, right? And she tried to roll up, her, roll up her window, and he just he threw a bunch of cards in at her. He's like, here, and he threw a bunch of bunch of Jesus cards here. And Jayla was like, ah. So anyway, funny story. Anyway, man, God loves you. We love you. We want to invite you guys to come if you're a local in the Miami area. We want to invite you to come and connect to Elevate. We also want to continue to invite you to like our Facebook page, subscribe to YouTube, and allow the Lord to continue to bless you and influence you in every way. So I'm going to pray over everybody. We should have a prayer team available. And let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace in Jesus' name. And may you forever live within his favor. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.